Hey, turn in your Bibles uh, to Revelation 21, verse 1. I got a picture for you. Would you like a picture? Uh, I, I know how it is. Nobody likes slideshows unless you like the person. So uh, thankfully, unfortunately, I'm in it. But Julie is also in it, and I know you like her. Show that picture of Julie and I. Um, oh, it's so dark. Nuts. Okay. Um, the guy in the top with the really silly grin, you can barely see it. That's me. I'm excited. Oh, it's really good there if you can see that one. Uh, I'm excited because I just asked Julie out on a date. This is the uh, first picture we have together. She is wearing a uh, green wig and I am wearing a monk's costume because we were in a musical called Camelot and we met at Southeastern University. And uh, I pursued this lady. I was a graduate and I was actually going into film production in uh, a Christian production company and I had no idea how to do any of that so I hung out with the theater director and I saw one of the leads of the play and she was recently single and blonde and a Yankee girl. And so I thought, just my type. Single. And, uh, and I pursued her, pursued her, and pursued her, and finally she said, yes, I will go on one date with you, and, uh, um, and she still hasn't figured out how ugly I am, so I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's Julie Hakes, and that was at that time Julie Christ, and that was uh, uh, years and years ago in 2005, so isn't she pretty? Um, I was speaking at Southeastern. And uh, uh, this girl comes up to me, young, young uh, student, and she says, that was the most chauvinistic, male-oriented message I've ever heard, because I would speak at the chapel sometime. And I, I said, what, what's wrong? And she goes, how, how, can you, how can you talk about strengthening the inner man? What about the inner woman? I just looked at this young Hillary Clinton wannabe, and I said... That's not a political statement, by the way. I just said, listen, if you can't understand, if you can't understand that we're not talking about genetics here when the Bible says that, we're, we're, we're talking about something else, you can't understand how I am the bride of Christ. I'm the bride of Christ. If, if you follow Jesus, you're the bride of Christ. That doesn't insult my masculinity one bit. And so today, we're going to be talking about the bride. How many of you have ever had a moment with Jesus and you just felt that Jesus was right there with you, as close as a lover? Maybe by the end of this, you'll be able to say that. But Jesus can come up and, 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 and the first time, uh, I love what R.W. Schombach talks about getting married. He said, the first time I got married, I was the groom. The next time I got married, I'm going to be the bride. Isn't that great? You see, there's a joy and beauty of being with Jesus. It's like he can come in there and you can see this in Song of Solomon. It's like Jesus whispers into your ear, you are altogether beautiful. My darling, there is no flaw in you. It's like Jesus comes up next to us. What a wonderful thing to hear Jesus say you are the virgin daughter of Israel, and I love you exceedingly. That doesn't threaten my masculinity, that I am considered worthy of being part of the bride. Revelation 21 talks about the bride. Revelation is in the back of your Bible just before you hit the maps, and uh, it's going to be verse 1. Revelation 21.1 says this, I'm just going to read a couple of passages. And I saw heaven and a new earth, this is John talking, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea, and I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, or coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Those are the people of God. 
Those, those, those are the people of God. And, and I, I would like to just this morning read you a story. Is that okay? You know, one of the things that we're getting back to in the youth ministry is just reading the old stories and, and talking about the old stories. So it's a, a rather lengthy piece uh, of scripture I want to read this morning. So I'll get right into it. But it's in Genesis 24. So uh, move from just before the maps to uh, just after the table of contents. And uh, Genesis 24, we're going to start with verse 1. It's a magnificent story, a love story. Let's just read it together, okay? Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He was rich, basically. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Then we're going to skip ahead to verse 10. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. Treasure, treasure. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way down to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, verse 12, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. How many, how many of you start off your day of work with the calling of God saying, make me successful today? And show kindness to my master Abraham. 13. See, I am standing behind the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. 14. May it be when I say to a young woman, Please let your jar, let down your jar, that I may have a drink. And she says, Drink. And I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. But this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. 15, before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her water jar, and came up again. 17, the, the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. 18, drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had seen, or she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her, closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. 22, skip down to 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring. Now, uh, in the past, a lot of Christians, we've tried to change this because we didn't like the idea of a a gold nose ring, especially in our teenage daughters. So we, we, we tried to amend the Bible and make it an earring. It is specifically a nose ring, and it is an obnoxious nose ring by today's standards. It would be a ring that would hang down over the chin. So they would have to pull it back over their ear to eat or speak. So, you know, fashion hasn't changed that much from the 80s. Verse 28, the young woman ran and told her mother's household all about these things. 29, now Rebecca had a brother named Laban. We've heard that name before. And he hurries out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man, found him standing by the camels near the spring. He says this, come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said, why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels and whatever happens to be on the camels. 
So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and the water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us. Now, verse 49, we'll skip down again. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. This is the servant talking. And if not, tell me, so I may know uh, which way to turn. And Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord we can say nothing to you one way or another. You ever been in a situation where you're like, this is what God wants. It doesn't matter what I want. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go. And let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave the rest of it. He gave costly gifts to her brother just for breathing and to her mother for making such a beautiful child. Then he and the men were with him, ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up in the morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so. And he said to them, don't detain me. Now that the Lord has granted me success in my journey, send me on my way, 57. Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. 58, so they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. And this is the last piece. Now, Isaac on 62 Isaac had come from Be'er la Chairoi. That's important later on. For he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field running to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I have one last piece of scripture. Thank you for hanging with me. Genesis 25.5, the next chapter. 25.5 is a short little verse, and it says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send us your Holy Spirit. Send him to us today. Send your Holy Spirit to seek out the bride. Move in our lives. Let us respond to the calling of the bridegroom. Jesus, you're my groom. That doesn't affect me as a man. It affects me as a man. God, move in all of us. Reinstate yourself as the husband of this church. Yet again, in Jesus' name, amen. Abraham is 100 plus years old. And his wonderful wife, his wife of promise, Sarah, has gone to be with the Lord and awaits him in heaven. And he feels his life oozing away, oozing away. And he says, I've got one last task. I want to find a bride for my son, the promised son, Isaac. He calls in his servant. Now in some translations it's slave, but they've worked together for almost a hundred years. He's not a slave anymore. If, if anything, the, 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 the delineation between master and slave is really gone at this point. They're more like business partners, like, like uh, trusted associates, compatriots in arms. And, he, and he, he brings them in and he says, I want to commission you to go. I need you to do one last job for me. One last job. I want you to go back to my homeland. I want you to go back to Mesopotamia. And I want you to find for my son Isaac a wife. 
Not one of these filthy, perverse Canaanite women in the place that we live. I want you to find a woman of God. I want a bride that is worthy of my son. Go find a bride. Now this is a unique and strange custom. And it's a little hard to explain without some help. So Pastor Ben's going to come up and help me. And uh, this is going to look weird, and it is weird. But here's the deal. There's a weird verse, and it just kind of popped out at me. He puts his hand under his thigh. Now, as Americans, and uh, yes, Pastor Ben is going to put his hand under my thigh. But as Americans, I want to explain something. The chair was not in existence at this time. The, the only chair that even existed were thrones, and there was like a couple of them in the world. Everybody else reclined. Even Jesus, they sat on cushions, mats. See, these guys were little more than Bedouin uh, 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 nomads, and they would, they would roll out mats and lay and recline and sit and talk. So, so their understanding, we, we say that's the thigh. That would be a very intimate and very strange thing to like, yeah, I promise. You know, good game. You know, that's a little weird. But this is what he actually means. Anything underneath the thigh is underneath the thigh. So if I put my hand under his foot, I would technically be underneath his thigh. Now let me show you something. Let me show you something. Because this is interesting. I'm going to move all of this. I want you to see this. So the servant comes into his master. And he bows down before his master. And he puts his hand out like this. And the master comes in and kneels down on his hand. Now notice this. My hand is underneath his thigh. But also what this means is that he has complete control. He owns me. He, I can't even lift my head and look him in the eyes. And then as the commission would happen, the master would put his hand on the top of the head in an anointing gesture and say, look, this is what you are going to do for me. Does that make sense? Thank you. I've completely lost use of that hand. Yeah. Got to get a diet before that marriage date, right? He's in complete, give Pastor Ben a big hand, great job. It's at this time I would like to announce that I'm happily married, even though that looked very compromising, and Pastor Ben is engaged to a woman, and she is my sister, and she is here today, stand up Kara Hakes, she's here for a week. Love you, Kara. I'm also mad at the rest of you, because I know you like her more than me, and I've been here five years. What we have in this story is a beautiful representation of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and the Bride of Christ. Let me unpack this for you. Abraham represents God the Father. And he is searching, longing to see his son Get this beautiful bride, a bride that is not just acceptable and pretty, but worthy. That's important. The servant represents the Holy Spirit. Seeking, commission. You see, the Holy Spirit never, ever operates outside of what God the Father wants. That's when we have Pentecostalism go too far. When people say, oh, the Holy Spirit made me do that. Well, does it line with the word? Because if it doesn't align with the word, what God said, then the Holy Spirit didn't do it, you did. Does that make sense? I'm not being mean, I'm being clear. Holy Spirit will never do anything that operates outside of Scripture. Never. And he's going forth, sent as command, on a mission, seeking, searching. Her? No. Her? No. Oh, no. Not her? Not her. He's looking, looking, looking. Isaac represents the Son, Jesus Christ. The chosen one in Greek. That's what Isaac means. Prototokos. The anointed one. Not just a son. The chosen son. The picked son. Genesis 25, 5 says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. You see, God gave everything to Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is the living word. Through all that we see is spoken into existence. And unto whom will eventually return. It all comes from him. It all comes back. Isn't that great? You see, and, and with Jesus, this is important if we grasp this. We're not heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Now notice the scripture I just read. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. And God gave all that he had unto Jesus Christ. And we are joint heirs. Isn't that great? If it's not great to you, you don't know what God gave to Jesus. Everything. Rebecca, of course, represents the bride of Christ. This, this teenage girl. Living in this land... She's not, she doesn't even know that she is the bride of destiny. She has no idea. She's the bride of destiny. She just gets up in the morning, goes in to the spring, gets some water for her, her father's beasts, take care of that. That's kind of her job. And she's just there. And, and it never occurred to this naive, innocent, virgin girl that God had picked her out. In a lonely, out-of-the-way oasis community, desert on every corner, surrounded by a whole lot of nothing, in Mesopotamia, that she had an eternal purpose, from whom the line of Jesus would come. She's a great-great-great-great-grandma of Jesus. Destiny. The magnificent destiny. And this servant loads his camels with wealth, and he sets off. And he's looking for her. And she has no idea. Now listen to this. This is worth the price of admission today. The bride is sought for diligently. The bride is sought for diligently. I hate this idea of the man upstairs. I hate it when people refer to God as the big man upstairs. Like he's some CEO of some giant corporation who doesn't give a rip about the custodian. That is not the image of God I see in the Bible. The image of the Holy Spirit is that he's seeking, he's searching, he's combing through. He's, he's, he's got to find her diligently, faithfully. He's unstoppable. I love an old southern term for the Holy Spirit. When they're praying and, they're just, and it comes out when I'm praying, I, I, it, it sounds disrespectful. And I hope it doesn't sound disrespectful to you, but uh, it might. I love it. It's an old term. It, they call him in, in the south the hound dog of heaven. Because you know when a hound dog gets on the trail... Nothing's going to stop them. I love that idea, especially because I've got unsaved loved ones. I don't need the Labrador poodle. What are they called? Labradoodles? I don't need the pug of heaven, right? With teeth problems and cute little faces and bulgy eyes. I don't need that searching out my lost love. I need the hound dog of heaven. And he's searching, and he's looking, and, he, and he, he's, the Holy Spirit is moving and searching and seeking for that one tender spirit. That one person who says, I want more than this. She looks around at her, her life, at the sin, at, at all, and, and, and she says, I was never meant to live like this animal. I want more than this. There's got to be something more for me, and the Holy Spirit says, yes, there is more for you. When a soul winner knocks on the door, and presents the plan of salvation, that soul winner is operating in seeking. They're a vessel of the Holy Spirit. When you tell your neighbor about Jesus, you're operating as a vessel for the Holy Spirit. You're a beautiful, chosen instrument. And I'll tell you this, one of the most beautiful truths in the Bible, I wrote it down, I'm just going to read it here. God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his anointed instruments is constantly seeking and searching for all of his bride. He is not sitting around. In fact, in the Bible, different prophets make fun of other people's gods and say, what is he doing, sitting around? Because they know that that's not the operation of God. 
How marvelous is that? You know, there's that song and it came out when I was in high school. I found Jesus. And I can appreciate the sentiment, but it is dead wrong. I didn't find Jesus. I was trying to find a party. I was trying to find a girlfriend. I was, I was trying to find fun and pleasure for the last moment. Jesus found me. Jesus found me. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. It's not really true, is it? He found me. God found me. He sought for me. He searched for me. He found me in the gutters of the universe. He hosed me off with the blood of Jesus Christ at great cost to himself. He wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then he filled me with the Holy Spirit. And then he called a 16-year-old kid into ministry. I'm not bragging because I didn't do any of that. Like, zero parts. I was a kid who was getting a C in math and wanted to be a civil engineer. Hello? Those things don't go together, you know? I like roads, you know? I was like, those look cool, you know? I was driving on uh, M53. It could use some civil engineers. Just not this guy. They must have a guy like me out there working. Yeah, fill those potholes in with uh, confetti. That'll work, you know? I don't know. Hey, listen to me. How can any born-again Christian suffer under the spirit of rejection? Honestly, how can any born-again Christian suffer under the spirit of rejection? Young married lady, who is your ex-husband to reject you when the pride of Christ has chosen you? He's the dummy. Young man, constantly swiping right, trying to find Mrs. Right. Who are all of those internet people to turn down you when the God of heaven says, I choose you, Pikachu. You're it. You don't need Tinder. You've got the Holy Spirit. And everybody under the age of like 20 goes, oh, okay, and everybody under the age of 30 is like, isn't that what you start fires with? Yeah. <laughs> Who can judge you when he has redeemed you? Who can condemn you when he has made you acceptable? Who can reject you and kick you out of their party? Young people, there's no party that you have to feel bad about not getting invited to when God himself has invited you to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb at his right hand. You don't need to sit around drinking wine coolers with a bunch of dorks who think they, 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 can't, they can't, I don't even know if you know the word dork. Like, like they can't even develop a conversation without being inebriated. That's called a loser. That's called somebody who can't have a conversation. People ask me all the time when I was in high school, are you drunk? And I said, no, I'm a high schooler who loves Jesus and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I just act weird all the time. But the best part is, is I'm never hungover. I didn't need the parties. I mean, I wasn't invited to them, but I didn't need them. <laughs> You've been sought out by the eternal eye and hand of God Almighty. I learned this in a very strange way. When I was a young man, I was put in charge uh, as a youth pastor at a church at, at uh, 19 years old. Didn't, didn't know uh, exegesis, homiletics. I barely read, you know, a quarter of the Bible. I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, man, we got to grow this youth ministry because it was a, a failed church. We were doing a restoration. I was working with a really smart guy, my mentor, Dr. Wayne Lee. And, uh, um, and he said, do whatever you got to do to get people in those seats. And I said, all right. So I borrowed a Youth for Christ van, and I went into the gutters of Central Florida, and I just collected anybody. You know why? Because they would just give me their kids. I, I mean, up here, everybody is, I understand it. You know, it's dangerous out there and all that stuff. These kids are like, well, at least you're not going to get shot. Get on the bus, Jimmy. I hate you. You know what I mean? Like, I would just drive around and collect kids. I never even met their parents. No, no waiver of liability. It was an insurance nightmare, I'm sure. But I would just do it. I, I didn't know what I was doing. i just collect kids. Somebody could have been like, is there like a, a kidnapper around? Yeah, that's me, you know. The youth pastor, Pied Piper, taking your children. And, and I just drive around, pick them up, bring them to church. 
I would go into this area called Juanita. And I would, I, I, I devised a scheme to get kids into church. Here's what I'd do. I'd give them food if they can't, uh, if they'd let me have their kids. I'd bring food. And, and uh, uh, I know that makes it sound like I'm engaged in uh, human trafficking. That's not true. Uh, but uh, just edit that part out. But, but if they didn't send their kids to church, I'd just walk right on by with my food. And I didn't have a lot of food, and we were around to a food bank. And we were walking, and I knew this house uh, didn't, this long, creepy roadway in this town called Juanita, Florida. One of the most depressed places in, I, I believe, in North America. No electricity in most of the homes. No, no running water, plumbing. It, it, condemned. And, and, and this woman lived way down there, and I just I stopped. I said, Guys, we've got to go drop some food off of there. And, and they're like, we only got one bag. I, I know. Let's just, let's just do it. I've I got to do it. Walked down this sad little lot to half of a single wide trailer. The owner would chainsaw the single wides in half, separate them, and cover them with the tarp. And I knocked on that little door. And this little Mexican woman opens up the door. She goes, ah, estás aquí. Gracias a Dios. Oh, thank God, you're here. I'm like, were you expecting us? And, you know, we have this, like, broken Spanglish kind of conversation, and she reveals that 10 minutes ago, her, her boyfriend had walked out on her because she was cheating on him. She had no food to feed the babies, and we had walked up with a bag of food. This is not a story about Ryan listening to the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Fui on that. Who cares about that? This is a story about the God of the universe looking out over the whole globe and seven billion people and saying, you. I answer, you. You are the bride of Christ. And we, we ministered to that lady. We brought her to the church. We, 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 out of her, we set up a Spanish ministry. And she got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and started preaching in Spanish because none of us could. And you know what? That's what God does. That's what God does. He answers a prayer in a little burnt-out trailer with liquor bottles everywhere from someone who, who, who had just cheated on her boyfriend. That's what God does. This is that story. As we read, we, we see the story of grace. And God is searching, and, and, and he sends people all the way, even to Mesopotamia. Listen, I've seen people saved in uh, the Kibera slums in Kenya. I've seen people saved and come to Christ in the volcanic uh, rainforests of Costa Rica. You know what? That doesn't surprise me that much. I've seen people saved in taxi cabs. You know what surprises me? I've seen people saved not just in uh, the rough areas. Not, that, that actually is kind of common. That actually makes sense. I learned to preach, preaching, and all oh, those poor boys. It was probably worse than being in the jail cell. I, I cut my teeth preaching to boys in juvenile detention centers, literally a captive audience. They could not leave. It was the best. I, I did whatever I wanted. I didn't know what I was doing. It was probably heresy, but they were like, kill me. All right, just, just send me back to jail, you know, but they couldn't. I had them, you know, and, 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 and those boys, though, I'd say, all right, guys, which one of you messed up? Every hand goes up. Why? Because the drill instructor would walk around and smack them on the back of the head, and they'd have to raise their hand, right? It was instant salvation every time. It was awesome. And I said, which one of you guys wants Jesus? They'd, they'd put the other hand up. Every single person would get saved. Why? Because they knew they were sinners. They knew they were screwed up. They literally were wearing the sandals. They knew. I've screwed up. I've messed up. I was, I was preaching in Jamaica, in the mountainous region of Jamaica, in a town called Gutters. And the church was called Gutters Assembly of God. That's not as, as surprising when people come to Christ in the gutters of Jamaica. I'll tell you what's amazing. You are in a church where people come to Jesus every week. That's amazing. Why? Because a, a, a middle-aged guy 
who's got everything financially going on. He does his taxes on time. He's an engineer at Chrysler. And on a Father's Day sermon, pastor preaches, he comes down to the altar in one of the nicest, biggest churches, in one of the nicest towns, and in one of the uh, most amazing countries in the United States. That is a miracle. It's like God sent out a spiritual drone strike, and it zeroed in on him, and bam, nailed him. Because God is not interested that anyone should perish, but that all. God is interested in your cousin who is living in sin. The hound dog of heaven is going to get a hold of her. He's going to... Until she goes, all right, God, I give up. I believe it. And friend, listen to me. It is, if you are not serving Christ and you're in this church today, oh, are you in trouble. You got suckered into coming to church on a Sunday morning and I'm preaching about this. God has it out for you. He's got his sights on you. And the Holy Spirit is seeking you. Not only does he search for the bride, but he purchases the bride at an extravagant price. This this is the second point. He he purchased the bride at an extravagant price. I love that song, Your Love is Extravagant. Fellas, it's Valentine's Day. Don't give her a rose. Extravagant roses. Don't, don't hand her a, a sixer. Fill the room. That's what Jesus would do. And all the women would say amen. <laughs> the bride is purchased as an extravagant bride. See, this, this preaches. I, I preached this sermon once before in Africa. And guess what? They loved it. Because they're a culture that understands bride price. It, it's still a part of their culture. They understand bride price. It's, it's something they get. And then when I read that scripture, they freaked out because this guy didn't haggle. You see, normally you'd bring in one camel, you'd open it up and say, how about this? No, 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 I need more than that. I, she's, she's, you know, she's got all of her teeth. Okay, okay, bring in the second camel. How about this? Look, look, count the toes. All of them. I mean, she's a quality girl, you know? She could play the piano. Well, she hadn't given up in fourth grade. She, she can play chopsticks, okay? That's got to be worth one more camel's, you know, gold. No, that's not what the servant does. He opens up every chest, and it starts spilling out, and he says, how about this, and how about this, and how about this, and all the gold, and all the jewels. He, he sees that girl at the well, and he walks up to her. How would you like this if somebody did this to your daughter? And they're just like, oh my God, she is chosen. Here you go, give me your nose. <laughs> what would happen if I did that to Julie Christ? Oh, you would not have a youth pastor named Ryan. They wouldn't even know where to bury the body. Pastor knows enough Italian. Oh, no. It'd be over. It'd be over. Servant goes, what's she worth? Laban looks at all this gold. You remember Laban, right? Swindler. Cheat. The little, little, little guy comes in out of, he takes a shine to one of, one of his daughters, a guy named Jacob. He steals 14 years of his life. He gets that girl, switches, the, puts the ugly one in. They get all the way to Jamaica on honeymoon. He lifts the veil. Oh! Oh! Wow! I should have looked before we got on the plane. Nuts! All right. Back to Laban. This guy knows what he's doing. He opens up all this gold and Laban's looking and he is just counting the numbers. He's counting the numbers and the servant goes, how much? And Laban goes, I'm surprised you brought 14 camels. That's exactly the number I had in my head. (laughs) And that's something. 300 pounds of gold? I was going to say 299, but let's go ahead and throw that extra one in. What does the servant do? Does he haggle? He goes, take it. It's yours. Here's some for mama. Here's some for you, brother. Here's some for you. Here's some for you. When a boy asks 
for a daughter's hand in marriage. Fellas, do you think that's going to work if you're broke? No. Get a J-O-B before you do that. Okay. We just had to deal with that. Imagine this. This old man's in New York City. Living by himself. His, his wife has died. He's one possession of her is this little old gilt frame of his 17-year-old bride. Just a little black and white photo. Every night he kisses and he says, maybe I'll see you in the morning. And he goes to bed, hoping to go return to be with Jesus so he can see his bride again. Every morning he wakes up, kisses her again, and says, maybe I'll see you in the morning the next day. One night, thieves break into his little apartment, his little one-room shack, and they steal the only thing of minimal value, this little gold frame, and the picture inside of it. The man is heartbroken and he's walking around and suddenly in the window of a pawn shop, he sees her. He doesn't even see the frame. He doesn't care about the frame. He sees her. His one photo of a 17-year-old bride and he walks in and goes, how much for that? And this old pawnbroker, he's a sneak and a thief and he knows exactly what's going on and he says, how much you got? And the old man, without, without even thinking about it, he plunks down every cent in cash that he has. He says, how about that? And, and as he's doing that, the pawnbroker notices a little corner of a check. It's his social security check. He said, how about that? And he goes, no problem. And he writes it over to him and hands that to him too. It's all I have. It's all I have. That little frame's worth five bucks. He didn't care. And he hands it back to him. Why? Because that old man says, my bride, my bride, you're back. I have you. I'll never lose you again. You were worth the price. It was extravagant. God bankrupts heaven. He, 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 he puts out the most extravagant gift, his own son's life. Everything for you. My bride, my bride. And the third thing is that the bride is glorified to suit the king. Now catch this. It's not just good enough that she's pretty. It's not that good enough that she's a virgin, that, that he picked her. He needs to make her suitable. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he comes into your life. And just like uh, uh, the servant brings all these gifts, the Holy Spirit comes into your life after you accept Christ and he gives you the gifts of the Spirit and he, and he gives you all of these awesome gifts and uh, uh, hope and love and faith and joy. He comes in and he, he renews your mind and transforms it. He gives you holiness. He gives you purpose. He gives you cleanse. He, he sanctifies you. He makes you presentable before the groom without, what does the Bible say, spot or wrinkle. There's this beautiful part in the story I'm going to end here because we're going to do a really cool ceremony. We're going to honor the young people making a commitment for purity today. But I wanted to do it at the end. And I don't want anybody to leave. We're not going to go over time or anything. It's very important that you catch this. There's this beautiful moment, and I don't know why Hollywood has never caught it. This is one of the most romantic moments I've ever read. Here she is, Rebecca. She's got this weird nose ring. She's covered in jewels like a, like a princess out of a Disney movie. She can't believe this little, little farm girl. And she's oasis town, and she's riding back and forth on this camel. Her mind is reeling. And she does what any young girl would in her situation. She turns to the servant, and for hours, she goes, what's he like? What's he like? What does he look like? Is he kind? Does he like puppies? Is he nice to his horses? Oh, does he have horses? Can I have one? What's he like? And this tired old servant, he's over 100 years old. He's on the last mission. He goes, oh, God, kill me, you know, like, take me home. And this little teenage girl's like asking him all these questions. What color are his eyes? And the servant looks at her. And he goes, we're first century Mesopotamian Jews. Brown. 
We all have brown eyes. You have brown eyes. I have brown eyes. Germans haven't been invented yet. All brown. And she goes, I know brown. What color brown? Do his eyes sparkle? Is he kind? Will he be nice to me? And the servant's like, yes, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. She just wanted to know more about the bridegroom. And I learned something in college when I had to preach, had the opportunity to preach week in and week out for a senior citizen RV group. The median age was 78. And this gal was just a woman of God. And she used to say something. I always thought it was funny. I didn't understand it. She goes, I knew the ultimate antibacterial. I was like, what? Ultimate antibacterial? Jesus. I'm like, okay, I guess, you know. I, I knew the ultimate antibiotic. Jesus. And I'm like, what does that mean? And her, her husband, who could barely hear, he'd go, she means penicillin. They discovered penicillin in September 14, 1928, and she was saved in September 11, 1928. She, she discovered Jesus before they discovered penicillin. And I'm like, okay, okay, gotcha. What am I, a 19-year-old kid, going to tell these people? What truth? What could I possibly, you know what they wanted to hear? I'll tell you the key to any healthy Christian community who is truly operating as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. You know what it is? They want to hear about the bridegroom. They want to hear the old story. They want to hear it over and again. Tell me the parable of Jesus. Tell me the story where Jesus calms the winds and the way. What did his eyes look like? But what kind of brown eyes do they sparkle? Does Jesus like me? And I just preached about Jesus. And they loved it. Not me, him. The less I took myself out of the sermon, the more they liked it. Which made sense, I was 19. <laughs> Haven't you ever felt this? I want to show you a picture. These are the girls that we took to Ohio on college days. And I'm not going to sell out hoo-hoo and all that, but I, I was talking to one of them, and one of them's a... Uh, 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 Guy pal is uh, getting ready to go to a school out of state. And I said, so, you're going to follow this boy to his school? She just looks at me and she goes, no. God has called me somewhere else. Wow. Wow. God give the Lakeside Student Nation more girls like her. No, I don't need no boy. And hey, have a godly relationship. I've never had to call them out on PDA. When it's time to worship, one's over here, one's over there, and they're worshiping God and they're learning to feed themselves because they know the bridegroom. Amen. You can clap for them. They're awesome. And you just have to guess which one's which. You can take that down. Listen, we'll end here. One day, we're going to be done with stories. One day, we're going to be done with stories. And this little girl, she's on her camel, a little princess, and Isaac looks up, and he notices the camel. Is that them? Is that them? Is that her? And he's by this well, and the well means he who looks and sees. That's Jesus. He's looking and seeing. Is that her? Is that her? He said, oh, it's her. And he starts running. And she, in a, in a moment of youth impulsiveness, she jumps off and she starts running after him. And then, and then she forgets herself and she pulls up her veil and they meet. And she stands there stunned. And he's everything she wanted him to be. He's perfect. And he looks at her. And she's been perfectly sought out. She's been purchased at an extravagant price. And she's been glorified and beautified, fit for a king. She's radiant. And he looks at her and he goes, my bride. My bride. Young people, you listen to me. If you 
can't find Jesus first, every relationship you ever have will be a disaster. I'm serious. The ones who are clapping the loudest made the biggest mistakes. I'm serious. You, you will find Jesus first, and then God will bring you your bride or your perfect man, and God will say, all right, you know Jesus. You're married to Jesus. You got that thing on lockdown. Now it's time for Mr. Right. Miss Perfect. But she is not going to show up until you know God. Why? Because God wants you to know the bridegroom first. One day the stories will end and we will see God face to face. One day a trumpet will sound and the sky will roll back like a dirty sheet and out of it will descend the bridegroom and he will have a tattoo up his leg. How cool is that? And there will be lightning bolts and his sword will be inflamed, which obviously means a lightsaber, and he's going to come down as the king and the judge and the conqueror, and that's awesome, but better than that, he is your bridegroom. He has come for you. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we shall meet him in the air. That's right, you'll get to finally fly. Everything that you've ever wanted from a little kid up till now and into the future will come completely true. All the stories, all the stories about Superman and Star Wars and Camelot, all those are shadows. It's a longing in all of our heart to fly because one day you are destined to fly. It's a longing for princesses to be found by their prince because one day, ladies, you will find your prince. One day he will come for you. He'll say to you, my Bride, you're perfect. You're perfect. The Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's pray. O oh, bridegroom, in this last 10 minutes, as we dedicate our lives to purity, I pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts right now. I want to ask everybody in this room a very important question. I, I would be remiss if I skipped it. Are you a bride of Christ? Have you been sought by the Holy Spirit? Have you been bought with an extravagant price? The answer is yes to both of those things. But the third is the question. Have you been washed, hosed down in the blood of the Lamb after God ripped you out of the gutter of sin and cleaned you up, put on expensive clothes and beautiful jewels? Has God cleaned up your soul? And that only comes through giving your heart away to Jesus, the bridegroom. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You are all destined to be that person. Every eye closed. Every eye closed. There's a sacred moment between you and the bridegroom. If you would say, Ryan, you know what? I want to be the bride of Christ. I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my life. If that trumpet sounds, is God going to recognize you? Do you know Jesus today? If you do not and you need to pray for that, you need to say, Ryan, I want to, I want to make sure. I need to make sure right now. I want you to just put your hand up right now. Just put it up. Okay. Then I will assume that everyone in here is a follower of Christ. Now on to the next thing. God, I pray that if anybody in a moment of indecision was worried about being a follower of Christ, I want to just pray this prayer and I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, my bridegroom, I want to be your bride. I put my life, my dreams, 
my sin, everything in your hands. Wash me down in the blood of the Lamb. Purchase me at an extravagant price. And clothe me. Get me ready to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.